When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshta. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Deshaun Watson Saga Continues Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. All right, so where do we stand with Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, I, I know I got Jeffrey Kessler, the friend, friend of the program. Uh, we've known Jeffrey a very long time, thorn in the side of the NFL when it comes to labor negotiations. But Jeffrey Kessler representing the Cleveland Browns quarterback. Uh, we have the NFL reportedly looking to suspend Deshaun Watson for at least a season, right? But it's a, it's a, a kind of an open suspension so we'll see where that goes uh we have the haslam's not only taking deshaun watson but giving him the largest guaranteed contract in the history of the nfl and by the way helping out their newest player by structuring this deal whereas if he does get suspended he ain't losing a whole lot of money comparatively have i missed anything I, the the uh, Houston Texans were just added to a lawsuit from one of his accusers, I think, trying to figure out what they knew or how involved they were in in her relationship with Deshaun. And 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 as we talk right now, I think literally as we talk, Scott, the the hearings between the NFL, the NFLPA, and retired federal judge Sue Robinson, who's the neutral discipline officer, new title here for 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 the NFL under this. New I think CPA. you know what you're, you're, you don't have a kid, but we need that. We should definitely do that in parenting. There should be the neutral, <laughs> the neutral discipline, discipline officer. officer. I I would never play the neutral discipline officer with my focus group of one, but but I think Kim could at, at some point be the neutral discipline. I mean, sometimes she could be the warden, uh, but. Uh, but I like that idea of a neutral discipline officer. Familial parenting arbitrator is what you're looking yeah, ex- for. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, so that's where we are, Scott, right now. Yes, the, the NFL and the NFLPA are essentially arguing in front of this neutral party, the, this discipline officer, how they believe why Deshaun's suspension should be large, should it be short, et cetera. It, it seems as though the NFL at the beginning, as you said, pushing for this kind of open-ended suspension of at least a year, 
seems very clear that the NFLPA, and you mentioned Jeffrey Kessler, certainly a name that I think uh, it, it commands a lot of attention and, and maybe makes a few people quiver in fear, people who work in leagues. He's working with the NFLPA here. Uh, I think this kind of comes down to the NFL arguing that there is obviously a, a lot of evidence here about wrongdoing on behalf of Deshaun Watson. He has denied the wrongdoing. There, there are 24 lawsuits against him. I believe he's settled at least 20 of those by now. There, there could be more. There, there, there's a huge number here. In the past, a number of, of athletes, ones who had not been convicted of crimes like Ben Roethlisberger or Ezekiel Elliott, have been suspended for chunks of games, six, eight games, uh, for, for, for indiscretion as well. That seems to be the NFL's argument. And I think the NFL PA's argument, which I find is really interesting, Scott, it seems like they are focusing on the conduct of owners and saying, look, Dan Snyder, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, there are a number of owners who faced very little punishment uh, for accusations of, of various sorts of harassment or abuse. And as a result, feel like Deshaun Watson should be getting that kind of lenient treatment as opposed to maybe the more the more stringent treatment that, that, that Ben Roethlisberger and Ezekiel Elliott got. That seems to be the way that this is shaking out, at least right now. Point of order, I forgot to shut off my phone in, in silence, so you may have heard the beep beep of, uh, of the text messages coming in. However, by the way, you know what it is? Guess what started today? For the first time since 2019, when you know the focus group of one kid won the brick tournament, yeah, the brick the brick is underway. Oh, I saw I saw Jackson doing a, a public uh, public Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, Co- Coach, Instagram? Coach Hamilton yeah. asked all the members of the of the winning team in 2019 if they could record a little video to the current crop. And I got to tell you, the, the the amazing part of it is to see how much these kids have grown in these videos. <laughs> And by the way, focus group of one returning from baseball camp right now. So he's probably going to come in the door and slam it or make some noise. There we go. Um, but to see how they've all grown, like some of them are unrecognizable. It's unbelievable. Um, and they, from what I can see, it looks like they lost the opener, uh, gave up. They were 2-2, gave up a goal in the final 13 seconds, oh. lost 3-2 to pro hockey, which is sort of the all-star team in Ontario. But anyway, we I my point of order <laughs> was really going there. to be yeah my my that's okay my point of order was really going to be that this, I don't think the NFLPA just pulled that out of thin air I believe it was a point made by Roger Goodell himself mm. not long ago that when considering behavior he looked at the NFL in its totality he wasn't pointing fingers at the players he said this has to also pertain to executives to ownership so Roger said it himself. So when you look at maybe owners not getting severe punishments for, of course, uh, like Robert Kraft, say what you will, he didn't have 24 accusations uh, against him here. Um, But that's where it came from. Like it was Roger himself. And I I think you have to take sort of the holistic approach at this. You can't have a double standard where owners can behave in uh, whatever way they want and, and face no scrutiny or punishment, whereas owner or players then could lose seasons of their career. So I was wrong about something in this process. I have been saying for a little while that the the new CBA takes the kind of the judge, jury, executioner power out of Rogers' hands. From Rogers' hands, that is only partially true. That this independent federal judge, uh, the disciplinary officer, this is a new position as part of the new CBA. However, and I learned this from Mike McCann, who wrote a great write-up of this at Sportico. For anyone who wants to understand the legal implications of what's going on with Deshaun Watson, I recommend that story. Essentially, whatever the, the this independent uh, judge decides, there's the ability to appeal this, and the appeal goes to Roger himself. And Roger has the ability to add to or, or, or change 
her decision. Now, there's a number of reasons, as Mike McCann says, that that's unlikely. One being that uh, Roger, who, as we joked last week, likes to say he's not a lawyer, uh, the the optics of of him deciding that this this federal retired judge uh, actually maybe knows less about him than than proper punishment, uh, I think would probably go over poorly. Two, it it very much undermines this entire new process that was laid out in the CBA. And three, and maybe the most important one here, is that it potentially gives ammunition for Watson if he wants to sue the league to say that that the NFL and particularly the commissioner were stepping kind of outside of their bounds by by punishing him in a way that they feel is unfair. It certainly seems as though if, if the structures are set up and they say, just spitballing here. They say four game suspension and, and Roger decides it appeals to himself and he makes it a one year suspension. That seems like it gives more ammunition to, 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 to Watson to sue. And Scott, as you know, I feel like we're, we're talking about this all the time. There is no shortage of lawsuits right now against the NFL. We talked last week about all of the kind of controversy around Dan Snyder, Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, has a lawsuit. I think one of the last things the NFL wants right now is another. John Gruden has another one. The, the last thing the NFL wants right now is just another legal challenge in which they have to figure out how to avoid discovery. Do we want to settle? How do we want to settle? It seems as though for a lot of those reasons, whatever this this federal judge decides, seems most likely that that is going to be the punishment that Deshaun Watson receives. Now, in these settlements, you tell me if you've read this, uh, I'm assuming that NDAs, you know, often pro forma in such settlements, I'm, ass- I'm assuming there are NDAs attached to these settlements, non-disclosure agreements, so that the accusers can't Settlements between come out. Deshaun and his accusers? Yes. Yeah, yes. So I, I, I would assume as well. I, I certainly don't know, and, and I'm not privy to any of those, any of those contracts, yeah. I mean, I would I would assume that that it that they that it is in place on on those. But like, remember the presidential debates with Elizabeth Warren? I, I it just seemed like there was like momentum picking up to sort of let let people speak even after the settlements. I know that kind of dissuades settlements, but uh, I also go back to and I don't remember in what vein David Stern was using this. But somebody asked David because again he was sort of judge and jury, you know, and oftentimes like with Roger as well, it's you. You could hand down the initial punishment. And then, and I always thought this was so bizarre and how this could ever get by in collective bargaining is beyond me. But then the appeal would also be heard by Roger. Yeah. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let's just bring, I, I, I guess, I guess in, in, in I, give me Mike McCann, you know, we'll ask him offline and then we'll t- tell, tell us how that does make sense. But, and then players would complain about the punishment and, and law and order in the league. And I remember David Cern once said, yeah, there's a majority. There was a majority opinion. And I don't remember if this was in a punishment related um, talk or if it was something else that, but that could have been just owners related. But the mindset was very clear when David said, yes, it was a majority opinion, a majority of one. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. A majority of one. It only mattered what he thought. And that's what we've had so many times with all these punishments with players, which is why uh, oftentimes in, in collective bargaining, the what they call blood issues were always um, related to money and decimal points and percentages of whether it BRI or football related income. Those were the blood issues. But the last time around, you started to see health and wellness, uh, number of games for season. Of course, that's revenue related as well. I get it. Uh, but it was also uh, Roger Goodell's power that you started to see players say, all right, the money's good. We got that. We can give a little there for some of these other things. It's time for us to maybe widen our scope 
as to what we deem really important to us. And and there's one there there's still one area of of punishment where Roger does have all of that power still. It's under an an integrity of the game clause, particularly around athletes or coaches who are found to be gambling on or or selling information for gamblers. So so for listeners out there who are follow the league closely and are thinking, "Hey, what about Calvin Ridley who was suspended for a year without any of this fanfare or trial or arbitration, whatever you want to call it for Deshaun Watson. That is the reason why when it came out that Calvin Ridley from, from all accounts gambled just a few thousand dollars on a few Falcons games while he was hurt. That's the reason why he was so quickly given a one year suspension without any of this other stuff happening. And I do think if, if Deshaun Watson ends up with a suspension that is significantly less than, than the one year that Calvin Ridley got, uh, I do think there's going to be a lot of people who who look at those two numbers and 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 very side eyed or very quizzical uh, about why an athlete who does one thing that I think in in almost all other realms maybe outside the NFL is nowhere near as bad as what's been alleged against Deshaun Watson ends up with a significantly higher punishment. All right, let's move on and tell me this, Mr. Novi Williams, what is your lasting memory of Pokemon Go? I, and I know probably people are like, wait, where are they going? What Pokemon? How did we get on a Pokemon? Do you have a lasting memory? I have one. I so do. If you, if you do, great. If you don't, oh, you do. Go ahead. Give it I to do. Me. Yeah, it was it was early July 2016, right after right after the, the game dropped. And I remember walking with my partner up to the, this park, Bennett Park, up in, up in Washington Heights, which is right next to our apartment. And there were thousands of people in the park. You like couldn't maneuver everyone, most of them young, but still people who were my age or even older, head down in the phone, people were running around. It was one of the craziest masses of of, of unexpected masses of people that I've ever seen. And it stayed that way in our neighborhood for for months, Scott. It, it was a it was a total epidemic is, is really the only word I can think of of how popular that game was for a stretch. All right. Well, then I have two. You saying that reminded me of another one. But yeah, as you know, I live pretty close to Central Park South. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing one night. Go out, wasn't expecting much. And there was a mob scene (laughs) of people going into the park searching for... Yeah. So there's one. And two, I was in LA. The first trip when I did not rent a car, my my maiden test voyage of all right, I'm going to go for like a three-day trip in LA, no car. I'm just going to Uber everywhere and see how that works out. Old. Right? <laughs> Fantastic. It actually worked out great. great. But on my ride home from Dodger Stadium back to the west side, I'm, I will never forget the driver says to me, uh, do you mind? Are you in a rush? And, I, and I'm like, um, you know, I was you know, in the, one of the benefits is you can do some work in the back, make a call. I'm like, no, not. I mean, not really. I got a little time away. What's up? Would you mind if I stop off at, and I don't remember the specific park, at, at something park? Um, you know, I, I, I want to get a, there's a Pokemon in the park and I, and I want to, and I, and I, half of me was like, are you freaking serious? Like, you, you're going to, you're going to pause, you're going to, you're, you're going off the course here to get a Pokemon. And then I was like, if it matters so much to this person, that she asked me to do this. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Like, I wasn't in a rush, so, but <laughs> I, it did catch me by surprise. And then there were other people there. So that was one. So we'll tell people why we're, we're talking about this now. And I'm just going to read the lead to the story because it, one, it's a good lead and it'll kind of tell you where we're going. So here's the read. It was a Jacob Feldman story. Since launching in 2016, good for you. You got that right. Pokemon Go has driven enthusiasts to chase their favorite monsters in delivery rooms at funerals, and even inside the White House. Soon, 
We'll see how far hoop heads will go in search of their favorite players. So in short, the NBA signed a deal with Niantic. That's the makers of Pokemon Go. And it's going to be a very familiar game, only you're going to be searching for NBA stars. Now, is the NBA late? Are they on time? Do you applaud? Just on sort of 30,000 foot, where do you come down on this? I Personally, I applaud it. I, I do not think that they're they're late. I mean, certainly it's it's six years after Pokemon Go came out, but this is I, my immediate thought when I, when, when I read this from Jacob was to think about Top Shot and NFTs. The NBA was, was the first through the door on, on the on the, the sports NFT craze, which obviously exploded right afterwards and, and then kind of came back down to earth. But Top Shot was, I think, for a lot of sports fans, the the, the their introduction to NFTs. Uh, my guess is that this could very easily follow the same track where it's popular for a bit. It seems to sputter because the, the first thing through the door often is not the uh, the, the perfect version of that thing. Um, but I applaud the N- NBA absolutely for thinking outside the box. This could this could be a huge dud. This could end up being a, a really, really popular thing that brings both NBA fans and people who are not NBA fans together in some kind of quest outside. I'm, I'm always in favor of quests outside. I think my general feeling is that we have no idea if this is going to be successful or not, but it seems like just another example of the NBA willing to kind of put itself out there, dive into a, a new medium of tech or a new medium of, of digital media that is probably going to be a bigger part of our future, but the people haven't quite figured out yet and, and, and just try to, and try to figure it out. It has to me a bit of a so rare feel where, I mean, in so rare, you actually sort of, you know, buy digital players and how they perform on the field. So here, I think you, you have a component of where you can go and sort of try to amass good teams. And I'm just looking down the line, trying to extrapolate where this might go. Could you, when you, what do you do once you collect them? All right, now maybe you can have your team play against, play against each other. Other yeah. team. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So maybe that's one thing. I love the fact that you're going to use existing basketball courts around. This is, by the way, a global endeavor. That's the beauty of it. You can have existing venues and basketball courts. So I'll give a couple of, of uh, sort of well-known names if you're in the New York City hoop scene. Rucker Park, right? Maybe you'll have your best player. You go find uh, a, a, a LeBron James or Steph Curry up at Rucker Park. Or how about the cage at West 4th? Maybe you can go find a, a Draymond Green at, at West 4th Street. Uh, it's also encompassing brick-and-mortar retail outlets. So you know you get hit with offers and things. So it's really combining sort of this ecosystem of fantasy, of retail. Uh, I, I, I'm also getting a very fanatics feel here, right? I don't. Mm-hmm. Does that does that sound familiar to you? Like, yeah, uh, it's trying the, to combine certainly a lot of these things. It's interesting that you mentioned Rucker Park because I, I actually wrote down a different sentence than the beginning one from Jacob's story, uh, and I'll read it to you because it it like I read it three times. It made my brain seize up. Uh, Rucker Park, for instance, could one day become crowded with phone holders trying to add the likes of Kevin Durant to their in-game roster by winning a one-on-one battle against a digital KD. I, I, there are certainly basketball fans out there who would hear that sentence and be absolutely livid that that's something the NBA is doing. I'm sure there's basketball fans who hear that sentence and are giddy about the opportunity to get up to Harlem and and maybe see if they can catch a rare NBA player by by showing up at Rucker Park. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle there, but it, it, it is certainly a fascinating commentary on where the NBA, probably the most forward-thinking of the major U.S. leagues right now, certainly a commentary on where they think fandom might be going in the future. Well, how about some numbers? You like this? Pokemon Go, over 500 million downloads in 2016 alone, the year of launch. 
right? By the end of 21, <laughs> so you got you know five years, more than $5 billion in revenue. That is 500 million people downloading the same app yep. in, a, in a six or seven month span, whatever that is, is, is insane. Insane, right? Yeah, absolutely. So by the way, have you ever been to Rucker Park? Uh, I have been to Rucker Park and I'm actually a, no free ads, but I am excited to check out the basketball tournament, which is up there um, in two or three weeks. I think the, the, the summer invitational, the winner take all multi-million dollar uh, event where you often see alumni teams from colleges get back together. They're doing their New York regional up at Rucker Park, which I think is a, a great venue and a really good idea. So I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, I've been there. I was there when when some NBA officials went up and some fairly well-known NBA, NBA players showed up as well. Great time up there. Same with the cage on West Fourth. If you've never been, it's sort of uh, you know right by the the village and Soho area, and there's just like this little court, you know, with caged in, and it's just a small court, and you get some good leagues run there. And yeah, I'm I'm curious. I don't know the names of the of the facilities that are around the world. That what would be the same in France? What would be in Spain? What would be in Serbia? I'm curious I'm sure to see what, what those places yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. and I'd love to see what those what those venues are, but. Uh, again, not surprised that the NBA is dabbling, bringing bringing its fans together in, in sort of a metaverse, and, and of course, seeing how they can monetize. Tell me about the anniversary of NIL. Where do we stand? Yeah, Scott, this this podcast drops on Thursday. On Friday, July first, we hit the one year mark. Three hundred and sixty five days. Of, Feels like of, more. Of the, Feels like more. <laughs> it does feel like more. Uh, the, the first year of college athletes getting access to all these new marketing rights. It is one of the biggest stories of the past year in our industry. It is fundamentally changing the business of college sports. Exactly how? I'm not sure if anybody fully knows right now. And, and it is controversial in some places. It is the, the best thing, the best development in, in, in college sports and other places. Uh, I, I think the easiest way for me to kind of distill this, I was talking to a friend of mine recently trying to explain what's happening. I think there's there, there's really two major branches of types of deals that we're seeing. One are the kind of standard marketing deals, similar to what you might see for a pro athlete. You get paid to appear in a commercial, you get paid to sign autographs, you get paid to do a sponsored Instagram post, that, that kind of traditional sponsorship or marketing deal. And then the second thing we're seeing, which is beginning to take a lot more oxygen out of the room for NIL, Scott, is the recruiting aspect of this. The collectives. The collectives in which a number of high-profile boosters or schools themselves are helping to facilitate payments directly towards athletes, young athletes who are either thinking about deciding which school they want to go to or have just recently committed the, the high-profile fight between uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher over what Texas A&M is or isn't offering to, to, to football players to, to go play down in, uh, down at Texas, Texas A&M. There's a lot of interesting things going on. I think there's going to be a lot of people that get burned by bad deals or, 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 or agreements they maybe shouldn't have signed. There's a lot of athletes that are going to rightfully make a lot of money. And by that, I mean, probably at, at some point relatively soon, we'll have athletes making uh, 10, 10 plus million dollars in What's our number? Hey, I got to jump on. in here. What's our number on uh, Arch Manning? Did we see a number yet as to what we think I, I he's going to I did not see a, a, a going number. To the, La Universidad de Texas? He, I mean, our, he's in the situation that is probably, if you could develop the, the most lucrative potential possibility, it, it's the University of Texas, a, yeah. a school that loves its football but has not been particularly good for a while, about to join the SEC, so joining the biggest and richest granddaddy conference of all of them. Um, Yes, if, if Arch Manning 
takes off and is as as good as as people seem to think that he could be uh, as a starter at the University of Texas. Yeah, I, if you told me that he was going to make fifteen million dollars in in two or three years with the Longhorns before jumping to the NFL, that would not uh, that would not surprise me. So yeah, it's, it's been fascinating to watch Scott. I will not pretend to know any idea what this is going to look like in in twelve months. The the NCAA, which very very notably kind of threw its hands up exactly 12 months ago and decided they didn't really want to play a, play a role in regulating or enforcing NIL is now kind of looking into and investigating a number of schools. A lot of people waiting on pins and needles to see what the NCAA decides. Yeah, but what does that mean? Do, who they're going How to many punish. investigators? How many investigators they have? I mean, it, I, it's the other a good day, question. yeah, the other day I saw like Tim Nevius was hired over at overtime. You know, yeah. he used to be over at the NCA, which made me think about what's the state of play over at sort of the investigatory body of the NCAA. I mean, how are it's, they? It's not strong. No, yeah, there's <laughs> no way they strong. have the manpower wherewithal to be out and looking at all these collectives at all the schools. And it's like, it's almost like, all right, fellas, go do whatever you're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> you I, know, think, I think throw your hands up. the one argument for maybe the NCA trying to do something big is that there are a number of people, and I would call these people traditionalists in, in the world of college sports, who really feel as though if, if NIL and what's happening right now is allowed to continue and to continue to kind of run wild, that it threatens kind of the entire fabric of college sports. I, I don't particularly agree with that, but there's a lot of people that feel that way. And I think those people are putting a particularly amount, large amount of pressure on the NCAA to say, hey, look, you got to do something here. Because if you don't do something, I'm not sure if the NCAA really exists in the form that it does in five or 10 years. So there may be some kind of kind of lash, lashing out or, or some kind of like last gasp effort by the NCAA to crawl back in here. We should mention also the NCAA doesn't, I mean, ha- has a president right now, Mark Emmert. He is leaving the post relatively soon. They are in the market right now looking for an, a new one. The NCAA is trying to figure out exactly how to do, how to weigh in, what to do with this existential crisis, all in the middle of of figuring out who they want to be the next face. Yeah, how'd you like to be the HR person who was tasked with writing the job description? Absolutely. Could be this, could be that. It could be be the most powerful person in this industry. It could be a figurehead that just rules over D2 and D3. Yeah, Yeah, could be be subservient to to the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those I would love to be a fly on the wall for interviews because, yeah, I think that this is one of those jobs where like way more questions from the, the person being interviewed about the job than, than, than maybe the people at the NCA have for the person that they're interviewing. But yes, this is a NIL has created a, again, I'll use the word existential crisis. I think it's accurate. It has created a really, really sticky position for the NCAA. But I think on the whole, if I look back on these 12 months, Again, a, a lot of athletes who under prior circumstances would not have been able to make money off of their talents and their abilities are, are able to do that now. And largely, that is a very good thing. All right. Prediction that this will not be the next NCA president will not be a longtime college sports administrator. We're going outside the box because that's what we're seeing. <laughs> and that is our segue to our that's final That's a bold segment. prediction, Scott. That's All a right, bold well, prediction. You know, and if I'm wrong, it won't be the first time. So like, what? no no risk here. <laughs> what are you going to call me, an idiot? Go ahead. I hear it 100 times a day at home. Um, but uh, talking about outside the box, I didn't see this coming. And maybe I should yell at him for not, for not telling me. But a uh, friend of the program, Brett Yormark, now the commissioner of the Big 12, uh, based in what? Where Irving, Irving, Texas, based in of the, Texas, of the, of, yeah, of, of the Big it's Twelve, outside Dallas, somewhere, yeah, uh, right outside Dallas. All right. I mean, I don't know what this means, but when I think of Brett Yormark, I don't think Dallas, Texas. 
I think New York. You know, he ran the Brooklyn Nets and the parent company, um, of course, with Rock Nation. Um, but certainly an outside, what I would term an outside the box hire. Uh, I'm curious to see what Brett thinks are the possibilities and why he was the most attractive candidate. Your thoughts? You cover this space very closely. I think it's a, a really interesting hire at a really interesting time for the the Big Twelve. The I think even casual college sports fans will understand the idea of the Power Five, the the five autonomous conferences that seem to be the nexus of of power in especially in college football, but a bit in college basketball as well. We are seeing partially because of the changes you and I just discussed. Uh, two of those leagues, the Big Ten and the SEC, are, are kind of rising to the top of that group, and it's left. Leagues like the Big 12, I think, with a lot of questions about where they fit into the fabric of college sports moving forward. The Big 12, for a long time, has been part of its, most of its power has come from its two most prominent members, Oklahoma and Tennessee, and, and Texas. Both of those schools are leaving for the SEC. And mm-hmm. the Big 12 retooled by adding, a, a, I think, four schools, including Houston and, and Cincinnati. This is going to look very different, the Big 12 is, under Brett Yormark than it did under Bob Bowlesby just a couple of years ago. And that's going to be a challenge for Brett, is, is trying to maintain, because I'm sure the Big 12 wants to maintain it, trying to maintain themselves in the conversation with the SEC and the Big 12, 10, even though the, the money they're going to get from media is going to be dr- drastically lower than what the Big Ten and the and, and the and and the and, and the SEC are getting, and also trying to compete on the on the field, as particularly on the football field, but also on, on the basketball courts. I think there's a lot in there. But but to your point about him being an outside the box hire, that is absolutely true. We saw it in the Pac-12 with George Klievkoff uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago. It seems increasingly that a lot of the conferences are finally coming around to the idea that. This is professional sports. College sports is, is a form of pro sports. And, and maybe we want someone with expertise more in that area or in other parts of business to come in and not just someone who has been, you know, two or three or four decades in college sports specifically. All right. My advice, uh, at least my heads up to people working not only directly for Brett, but those around the Big 12, if you're wondering who's this guy coming to town and what's it going to be like, I will say one you should step up your cufflink game right now, mm. right? If you don't, if you don't rock a big cufflink game, you may you may want to look into that. Uh, two, prepare for emails at three four in the morning, right? I would I, I I've known Brett to send emails bright and early. Likes to get an early start on the day. And is that early or get, is that late? I can't even. Yeah, that three yeah, the four in the morning might be late for Brett, but we'll we'll, we'll see. And uh, lastly, uh, figure out how to drive value for partners and. How to slice and dice partnerships into into creative ways? That's what I will say because I I think Brett likes to do that. He likes to find ways to create new categories for people. So he is again outside the box thinker in that way. Um, I was already texting with him. You know, congratulations on the gig. So uh, you know, he's excited to get started. I'm I'm very curious to see where he goes with it. Maybe a future Sportacast guest in there as well. No, oh, well, that one hundred percent. I haven't hit him up yet, but I guarantee we're going to have let let him get his you know his feet on the ground and uh, and, and just sort of start, and then we'll we'll get him in here. I, I can promise the audience we will do that. The guy on the other side is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whiters. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. Thank you. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.